welcome back to Let's Talk Title with Emerald Coast Title Services. This is episode 18. I'm your host and president of ECTS, Dion Moniz. And we have our director of operations slash closing extraordinaire, Ashley Bowen. And uh, today, and today <laughs> we have our special guest, uh, vice president of ECTS, Nathan Cordell. Yeah, happy to be here. Yeah, welcome to your, to your first podcast. My first podcast. Happy to be part of the team. A couple months in now, so happy to join to discuss exciting far bar contractors. Yeah, and good stuff. So excited to have you. Yeah. Yep. Nathan's already been an awesome addition to the team. Uh, he manages our ECTS crew over in our Center Ridge Beach office. And so that makes me very happy because now I don't have to <laughs> worry about managing two crews. I can just manage one because Ashley is enough by herself. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so today we're going to go over the new changes for Farbar that take effect November 1. So depending on when this airs, they may already be in effect, but... Uh, some really cool changes coming down the pipeline that makes Farbar even better, in my opinion. And some, some ways. <laughs> I might some make it a little harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's there's some significant changes though. Yeah, exciting change. Yeah. And it makes me wonder if they're going to update Crisp sometime soon. I wondered that as well. Because now the differences between the two are drastic. Big. Yeah. yeah. Even bigger than before. So we'll Maybe see if Crisp follows suit. Chris. That would be nice. <laughs> All right. Well, let's jump on in. So, uh, actually, you're going to cover the first change that's under paragraph 1D for the personal property description. And I think this one's pretty cool. Um, so, they're removing the personal property. It's going to be like your appliances, ceiling fans, stuff like that, typically. Oh. Um, it had intercoms on it. They've removed intercoms because that's so 80s. Nobody uses intercoms anymore. Don't use them anymore. But they've added um, doorbells, thermostats, television mounts, which we needed television mounts for years. Yep. Um, but now that we have these ring um, and smart home things, um, they're including that in the personal property now. So I think that's a, a good change they needed. It is, because before this, there was always the argument over whether the TV mounts were fixtures and could, could they take TVs and the mounts, uh, blah, blah, blah. So Now know, it's TV mounts and mounting hardware. It does not include the television still. Right. Which makes sense, right? Because... The mount itself is a fixture into the wall. Yeah, so it's bolted into the studs. In, yeah. yeah. So if you remove that, then you leave holes and painting issues. And exactly. It looks not great. Yep. But lesson that we always preach when we're doing our classes, if there are big TVs on the wall, figure out whether they're supposed to stay or go with the house and make sure you specify that in the contract. But at least for now, know that the personal property, the default list, is changed for Farbar. And if your sellers want to take their ring device with them, you're going to need to exclude it. Yes, exactly. That brings up a great point. Always make sure that your exclusion list or your inclusion list uh, is very detailed and specific. Yeah. So read the the personal property section with your sellers so, and your buyers. Yeah. Let's handle it right now. I was just going to say, if you're on seller side, find out exactly what the seller wants to stay or go. And if you're on buyer side, find out what the buyer expects to stay. Uh, and specify, specify, specify. Disclose, disclose, disclose. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so paragraph four, they made a little tweak to the closing date. Ashley, I'll let you cover that one too. Um, okay, so now it states that the closing of this transaction shall, shall occur when all funds required for closing are received by the closing agent and collected pursuant to the standard, which means it has to be cleared in our account, which is why we typically require a wire transfer for closing funds. Um, this one... I'm a little bit worried about because there are, we have a lot of mail away closings in our area. Um, 
there are banks who will say we can fund on Friday or we can close on Friday, which is when the buyer's going to sign the mortgage and sign all the closing documents that we can't fund until Monday when I get the original documents back. And so they don't even send me the lender wire until Monday. So we're closing Friday, funding Monday. This tells us that we can't do that now. It has to be all Got to have money in the account. Yeah. So closing can't occur until I have that lender. All funds and all documents. That's right. Yep. Yeah. That's right. Makes sense. Um, Glad they clarified. Yeah. It's going to be difficult. We're going to have, I think, um, to have some serious conversations with these lenders to explain to them the significance of this. Yes, we are. Um, and especially if we're facing, if we're looking at an afternoon closing, that's definitely going to be an issue with getting funded into escrow in time. Um, but even more so, well, so what this does help is it helps keep the sellers that think that closing is not until they get their money. It keeps them at bay because now, as Ashley indicated, it's not uncommon for us to close one day and fund the following day because of wire cutoffs, closing on a Friday afternoon, you know, have to fund Monday morning and sellers get irate because they think they don't have their money. So it's not closed. Well, this is clear that I have to have it closes once you have all the documents and all the money in the account. So even if they don't get their money, it's seller until the next morning because of the wire cutoff issues, it's still a closed deal. Let me clarify to everyone. Our wire cutoff times are four o'clock. It's pretty late in the day. We really try to get those sellers funded the same day. Really, really try. Yeah. And it's tough, right? Because sometimes certain lenders require funding authorization. Mm -hmm. Right. They don't table fund. So when lenders require funding authorization, uh, that is a step in the process that we have to obtain that authorization from the lenders. And if we don't get that, then we can't fund. Then we can't pay the sellers. We can't pay agents. So it's tough. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out uh, until the lenders get accustomed to it. So... All right, so the next change is under paragraph five, which is in regards to when the closing date uh, is subject to that automatic extension for CFPB. Nathan, what do you think about that one? Yeah, that's right. So under uh, the current contract, um, without the changes, there's an automatic 10-day extension of the FAR bar contract. And uh, that only applies to disclosure requirements according to the CFPB. So that means that if you don't have your CD disclosed uh, by the actual closing date, it can automatically extend uh, up to 10 days. Now the changes shorten that window from seven or from excuse me from 10 to seven days. So that window gets shortened. Um, so that's a that's a pretty big change. Uh, that's been uh, a hot paragraph of the contract over yep. the last several months and a um, couple of years. We have, so. we have people trying to to pull that one. Um, and now the loan has to be fully approved yeah. and through underwriting. through underwriting. Yes. So, I mean, you know, beforehand we would have uh, clients or, or, you know, buyers and lenders try to argue that. You know, they didn't have the appraisal. Yeah. And so that's a CFPB requirement. Right. So let's use that automatic extension. But it's only disclosure. I'm glad that it clarifies that because it was, this was a lot of gray area. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and as you'll see, as far as the financing section, that is also updated. Um the appraisal coming in as part of the loan approval process now. So uh, this these changes, I think, really clarifies uh, a lot of the gray area, which lawyers love gray area. Yep. Uh, it's how we how we make our money in private practice. But yep. um, this this contract, I think, clarifies a lot. And this automatic extension, uh, although it's shortened, uh, does clarify when it's actually relevant and when it's appropriate. 
Yeah, because prior to this change, everyone just thought they automatically get 10 days yeah. if there are any loan-related issues. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you'd have to explain, no, it's not like that. So this actually explains it and cuts all the other BS out. And you can only get the extension if loan is approved. And through underwriting. And through underwriting. And it's solely related to CFPB, CFPB issues. So right. it's a good change. I'm just nervous about what November 2 is going to bring. Like I have a closing right now that's not through underwriting. We're yeah. closing at five. <laughs> yeah, so I guess that begs the question. November one, is it all contracts in play as of November one? Or yeah. well, it's gonna be all, all contracts, contracts in effect as of November one forward. Well that's that true. Yeah. Yes, that's yeah, true. On the, new agreement. the new contract won't be available until then. I See? Be there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's never too late, actually. Oh my gosh. Okay, your turn. <laughs> all right. So the next change is under paragraph six, and that's the paragraph to where if the property is subject to uh, a leasehold interest, it's being rented out uh, under the current version, you have to disclose it, but it only applies to long-term leases, so in excess of six months. So there's always been the issue, at least in our area, of short-term rentals. We're a short-term rental heavy area. And so previously, or now, the paragraph doesn't address that. The new paragraph does, and actually specifies that short-term rental uh, interests must also be disclosed. And so they should have gone a step further to talk about what needed to be disclosed under the short-term rental category. But my opinion is anything related to a long-term lease or a management agreement, if it's short-term rentals or your VRBO agreement, anything related to the renting of that property, whether it's long or short-term, that now has to be provided to the buyer. And then the buyer has five days to review it. Uh, it has to be provided to the buyer within five days of the effective date of the contract. And then buyer has five days to review it and either decide to proceed with the contract or cancel the contract for whatever reason they want, if it's within that five days. Um, so that's important, uh, like I said, especially in our area since I'm there's so many short-term rentals. Short-term rental so, language yeah. that needed to happen. Which brings up a good point to always address the book of business um, yes. of short-term rentals in the contract. I mean, there are so many issues in a vacation market uh, like Besson and, and South Walton that... Um, you know, people are purchasing these properties as investment properties. And, you know, all of a sudden the question becomes, what happens to the rentals upon closing? Do they transfer? Where do they go? The buyers want them. Yeah, the buyers want them. The sellers, the sellers want, want them. The sellers want to be greedy and want them too. <laughs> yep. So you have to, I think you should and have to address those in the contract. You do. Yes, up front when you're yes. negotiating. Have those conversations up front. Yes, yeah. for sure. Otherwise, it could be a very costly lesson and you could be giving up some commissions to make up for lost or reservations that were moved when they shouldn't have been because it wasn't specified. Um, All right, paragraph seven, assignability. Assignability. So before, um, in the, well, currently in the contract that we have right now, assignability, um, it was either buyer may assign and um, be released from liability, buyer may assign and not be released from liability, <clears throat> or buyer may not assign this contract. And it could be assigning the contract to a friend or a relative, or it could be assigning it to your LLC. Right. And the seller could balk at it um, so there, it was never, there was never a default in the contract. It was, if they left it blank, we didn't know what to do. And so now, um, it just defaults it to the assign. The contract is not assignable. But this is a good lesson on never leave blanks, right? That's right. Because if you leave it blank, then it's not assignable. And so many times the buyer has the contract under the individual name and wants to transfer it into an LLC. Or has it in their LLC and then their lender won't let them close in their right. LLC and True. they have to close in their individual name. Yeah. Okay because they're buying it as a second home and not investment property. And a lot of times the case is, is when you go under contract, they're 
in their individual names, right? And, yeah. Um, they don't have the LLC formed. So when the LLC is formed, that's when the assignability occurs to close in the LLC. So yeah, uh, good lesson on not leaving any contracts uh, with blanks or with anything to be filled out. Yeah, exactly. Our pet peeve. You know, from a practical standpoint, I don't think the sellers care that much as long as they get their money, but... Sometimes they do. They I mean, I've, I've had one where the buyers needed to transfer it. I think it was out of an LLC into an individual name. The seller really didn't, they kind of changed their mind. They were having seller's remorse and that was, that they had something there. Yeah. 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 All right. So now financing. The this, fun part. The yeah. fun part. Guys. The meaty part. <laughs> So we're going to go through, there's actually several changes under uh, Section 8 or Paragraph 8, which is for financing. Um, some pretty good changes coming down the pipe. Um, so, all right, the first one under Paragraph 8A, it now just cleans up. It's a cash transaction. It just clearly says it's subject to cash only, no financing contingency. The current version has some other language in there that... It's just confusing. It, yeah. it makes it, yeah. So cleans it up. Cash, no financing contingency, protections, et cetera. Easy. The next big one under 8B is now for the loan approval, you have to have the appraisal done yeah. by the loan approval deadline. So, Which the default is 30 days. I mean, the default. It's not happening. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> I, chances are that, I mean, I, you know, and, and I've had this conversation with some agents of what happens if the appraisal doesn't come back? Well, now you're in trouble. Well, or you're going to have to do some negotiation and get an extension on yeah. the financing loan approval period as well yeah. as the closing date. Yeah. So we think 45 days is the new loan approval period. It's a good sweet spot. Yeah. You know, 45 days is a good sweet spot and trying to figure out um, what that looks like from an appraisal standpoint. I think it's honestly going to put a lot of appraisers on notice that they need to, to churn these appraisals out to meet this loan approval period. I'm so. really curious to see how that plays out yeah. because the appraisers now, they're so busy. I don't know that they can work any faster. Yeah, you're right. Um, so... Our, Any yeah. young children out there, if you need a... Yeah. <laughs> you can make a lot of money doing appraisals right now. So, uh, yeah, get into that market now. So, our recommendation is 45 days now for loan approval, which means closing date needs to at least be 50 days uh, from the effective date. And hopefully that's enough time. Right. Um, and you can always add the language in your closing date of honor before. Um, for sure. It's yes. just good practice that you can get the loan approved. Maybe it does get approved in 30 days and you want to close in 35. But give yourself time because it may not happen. Yeah, because yep. if you don't, then yeah. it's a way. I mean, it's, yeah. So what happens, Nathan? Uh, when you get to the loan approval deadline, what are the three forms of notice the buyer has to provide seller? So the buyer uh, does not owe the seller any proactive notice anymore under the new changes. Uh, the seller has to request notice in writing of any updates regarding the uh, loan status. Um, so that's interesting is that there's no uh, affirmative obligation on, on the buyer's side to provide the seller with any kind of update. The seller has to request it. Yeah, which is good. Um, as opposed to being affirmative obligation on the buyer, it's a reactive yeah. uh, obligation. Yeah. Um, so... So what happens now under the, the new contract is when you get to the loan approval deadline, you as the buyer, if you want to proceed with the contract, you have, well, let's just, let me take that back. You have three options. Either you notify the seller that you've been approved, you've obtained loan approval and you're proceeding. You notify the seller that you have not attained loan approval, but you're confident that you will and you're still proceeding, in which case 
you still proceed under the financing contingency protections. It doesn't convert into a cash deal, so that's good. Um, or you have to notify the seller that you're not approved and you're canceling the contract, in which case you get your EMD back. If you don't do any of that, if the buyer is silent and the loan approval period expires, then the seller gets that three-day window to cancel, and then after that three-day window is up, then the contract goes hard. And at that point, it becomes a cash transaction uh, on the buyer side. So they lose all the financing contingency protections at that point, and they have to close as if it's a cash deal. Uh, Which is so different than the way that it currently is. It is, is. right. Um, it, I mean, this says it now converts to a cash transaction um, with no financing contingencies. Um, verifies it. Yeah. <laughs> and there's um, no out for low-ball appraisals Exactly. Right. Because, you know, right now that's the only contingency left. You know, you could get loan approval and blow past that deadline. And if, but if it doesn't appraise, the buyer still has an out. Right. Well, now they've stricken that part of the contract. So that's no longer an exception. So uh, pretty important stuff. Yeah, this, these are some big changes. Um, so definitely, you know, this, this Section 8, Paragraph 8, it's important to Read up on and study for your clients for sure, um, as it relates to financing. Yep, exactly. And and, and as always, we're always available for uh, questions. So give us a ring, and we can explain this further. But uh, yeah, and we and we have the red line version of the contract that we can send out so that you can actually see all the changes, and we'll help um, you know help you connect the dots with all this and study it with you. And yes, we're all learning together. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that's for sure. All right, let's see. What do we have next? Are you done with um, financing? Maybe? I think we are done with financing. We did. We, we, we hit the high points. We spent probably 30 minutes on it uh, at our uh, WCR uh, event, but that we did enough for, for 30, our podcast. Yeah. Exactly, 30,000 feet level. Um, All right, so, so closing costs. section is going to be the closing costs. The only change they did here was that they added um, charges for crypto withholding and reporting as a seller charge, a seller default charge. Um, should have been. We don't charge anything for that. I mean, that's just a service that we provide. We help fill out the forms. FERPTA. What's FERPTA? Oh, God. Foreign Investment and Real Property Tax Act. <laughs> rolls off so smoothly. <laughs> okay. Um, but that's the only change that they made to um, the closing cost paragraph. Yeah. Which I think is good because it starts conversation between, you know, um, your clients and the sellers. Um if they are happen to be foreign nationals or you know foreign corporations or entities. Well, and then um, the next part that changed was that the survey is now due. Um, they specify that it's due five days prior to closing. Right. Um, which it used to be due on or before the title evidence period, which then you have to go and find out what that deadline is. It just makes it a lot cleaner. Um, I'm also a little bit nervous about this one because there are transactions where I get the survey the day of or the day before closing. Yep. So, which means that when we place the order for the survey, we have got to tell them it's due five days before our closing date or seven days before our closing date, just to make sure that we have it in time. That's right. We don't want the closing or, you know, this paragraph to be in default and it's our fault. Um, which hopefully if the closing date is organically going to move down because of having to have a longer loan approval period, 
that gives the surveyors a few more days. So maybe that problem somewhat resolves itself. Still but kind of look at your deadline date. Yeah. True. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, but both of those things, the um, the survey and FERPTA, um, both I have this form. It's the Ohio form. Only handle it once. I think it's really important at listing for the listing agent to talk to the seller, find out is there a survey. Do you have a mortgage on your property? When did you close? If you don't have a survey, there probably is one. Like, call your old title company. Let's try to find it. Um, and then, is the seller a foreign person? Are are they? Do they have a green card? You know, find all of that stuff out at listing, and so you know what you're about to get yourself into. Yeah, exactly. All right. So next up, paragraph twelve uh, for the property inspection. Um, Fortunately for our area, because there's so many waterfront properties, they've now added uh, watercraft lifts and related equipment as part of the uh, the items that have to be in good working condition or working uh, condition as part of the inspection. So now it falls under the repair limit. If the if the jet ski lift isn't working, then that falls under the requirement uh, for the seller to repair that up to the repair limit. Expensive repair. Yeah, sure. absolutely. Sure. And with all the salt air and salt water. Yeah. So that's, you know, suddenly that, you know, default 1.5% of the purchase price. Could really get used up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep, exactly. So good change. Like I said, a lot of waterfront properties, so good protection for the buyer. But if you're on the seller side, definitely want to make sure you limit that repair limit because if you just let the default go then you could end up a new you're buying a new jet ski lift, lift or lift. boat lift yeah yeah boat lifts those are really expensive <laughs> so it says watercraft lifts so all the above next change is under paragraph 18f for the calculation of time i like this one yeah i do too because in the past there was always some confusion as to when the deadlines were supposed to be calculated in far bar Chris specifically says 5 p.m. of that day. Uh, Farbar was silent, except that if the deadline fell on a weekend or a holiday, it extended to 5 p.m. on the next business day. So the implication is, all right, well, 5 p.m. must be the calculation for all deadlines. Well, now they've actually excluded that 5 p.m. language, and now it's the time zone for the property, uh, a time zone where the property is located, and... Essentially, it's 11.59 p.m. on that date in that time zone so that makes for the deadline. That deadlines are now midnight. 11.59. Yep, midnight is technically okay, the next day. Sorry. Yeah. 11.59. Because, <laughs> Nathan, you had a, a situation you brought up uh, at our prior discussion where they did a cancellation at 11.30 at night or something. It's like 11.50. Yeah. Um, and uh, an agent called me the next morning, and she was obviously asleep, you know, and... and she woke up uh, to this cancellation, uh, Louisa cancellation request in her email. And it was the last day, last hour of a contingency period. And um, she wanted to argue that, you know, standard business practices dictate that you respond at five o'clock or by five o'clock uh, in the time zone where the property is located. Uh, unfortunately, I think she lost that argument. But, um, you know, I think this clarifies it that it is yeah. indeed no. eleven fifty. Yeah, you can't at five oh one. You can't say, "Whew, yeah, we made right. it." Right, right. <laughs> Got to wait till the next morning. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> so I'm glad they at least clarified that because that was some gray area, um, and now it's not. All right, force majeure. Sounds so French. 
Yes, and it means act of God. Um, and, you know, I've given a lot of contract presentations down here over the last several years, and uh, the last year and a half, I had a question mark beside this term um, as to whether COVID-19 and the uh, year formerly known as 2020. <laughs> channel my the big dumpster fire that was 2020. Fire that was 2020. <laughs> whether COVID and uh, the implications of a global pandemic and um, government shutdowns that were mandated qualify as an act of God and force majeure. And, you know, ultimately it was just unclear. It was great. And uh, the Florida Bar and the Florida Realtors decided that they would clarify this and include governmental actions and mandates, shutdowns, epidemics, and pandemics, uh, which is interesting. Um, it also clarifies that the uh, force majeure event is deemed to have occurred on the very first day of the force majeure event, which we deal with force majeure events when we think about hurricanes, right? So that's what we deal with, unfortunately, um, um, in this area. And there are coordinates um, when a storm enters into the Gulf of Mexico where insurance stops being bound and closing. And uh, that is the hard, fast uh, start date of, of a force majeure event uh, when thinking about it in terms of a storm. So this clarifies it uh, as to the fact that the mandatory shutdown of the government and the mandatory shutdown of organizations that would facilitate a closing. So recording offices. Yep. Um, our offices, even. Yep. Shipping. So think about we do so many mail outs and mail aways for FedEx and UPS. Uh, this clarifies it a little bit. Uh, it, well, clarifies and it muddies it up. <laughs> so. Yeah. I, I, I like the civil unrest edition. Yeah, the civil unrest is interesting. I, I'm curious to see how that gets defined uh, through the courts down the road because, sure. you know, what, what does that mean exactly? Yeah. Can we write in the streets because we don't like our president? Is that civil <laughs> unrest? Is that right. sufficient to stop a closing? <laughs> I think you're going to find some arguments. <laughs> Maybe not in um, Fort Panhandle. Right, right, right. <laughs> exactly. All right, so the next change is paragraph 18.0. And so that gets into the forms of notice that are now allowed. No more texting. No more texting. <laughs> or Facebook messages. Or, or Facebook, Facebook messages. Yeah, Who exactly. Facebook messages? Hey, like, some weird things. I have right. clients that Facebook message me. It's the craziest thing. I'm like, can't you just text? But, <laughs> or email? Uh, yeah. Well, email is best, but unfortunately now everyone likes to text. It's yeah. just the nature of the beast. But So currently... Uh, when a buyer has to give seller notice or vice versa, technically text messaging or any sort of electronic media applies, which gets into social media messages. So come November, they've stricken that out. And now it's only mail, facsimile, or personal delivery or email, email. period. So no more, texting. No, more texting. no more texting. Well, and I mean, agent, a lot of times when there's disputes and you say, well, did you mm -hmm. get it in writing? Yeah, it's on my text message. And like, they do that a lot, and now they're not going to be able to. Right. We're going to really need to beat that into their I know. brains. Yeah, and the reason I think behind it is, like, you know, I've, I've told people is that you can easily delete texts, and you can easily delete mm -hmm. instant messages, um, and oftentimes those aren't retraceable. Um, emails, you know, you can print and store and save. Um, obviously, I think it was mentioned this morning that uh, faxes are actually the safest method of transmission yeah. of, of documents these days. Wire so instructions yep. and payoffs and things like that. But you know what? It's going to be a comeback of fax machines. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of fax goes through our email. Yeah, e-fax. Yeah. So it's like... 
So you wonder, how, it, is it still secure like a fax secure, if yeah. it's coming through email? Unless it's printed out the old-fashioned printer. Yeah. The old thermal paper that yes. curls up when yeah. it drops out? Yeah. We need to get a fax machine. Well, I, we might have to. We might be going back to the days where the wiring instructions are sent via fax, yeah. you know, to be safe. So anyway. No more social media messages. No more social media messages. Messaging negotiations. Because here's where it will bite the buyer. If you're on buyer side and you're under far bar and that loan approval deadline comes up and you send a text to the seller's agent saying, hey, we're, we're approved for the loan, we're good to go, that's not going to qualify as notice. And so now seller can go, ah, we didn't get notice, we're canceling under right. the three-day cancellation period. And now seller's going to the higher offer and buyer's stuck. And now maybe buyer's looking to the buyer's agent yeah. for liability because right. proper notice wasn't given. Right. So... Email, email, email. Yes, email. yes exactly. Absolutely. All right. And actually, one of your favorites, the changes to the I'm FHA VA so writer. I'm excited about this one um, because so many times, and we do a lot of VA loans over here because we're surrounded by military bases. And um, a lot Thank you for your service. <laughs> yes, thank you. Um, a lot of times, sellers will get the settlement statement and it'll show the buyer's underwriting fees, <clears throat> um, WGO inspection, doc prep fees um, that are all fees given by the buyer's lender but charged to the seller because that VA um, writer states that the seller has to pay for all of those things. So they've now redlined through those items and just put a, a dollar amount up to blank if it's left blank than 250 of the buyer's um, closing costs. Yep. So it just makes it a little bit cleaner. Because the crisp VA writer and the Farbar VA writer were different. The crisp didn't have that. It was just that blank amount. And I think from a practical standpoint, it just looks like a credit, you know, on the settlement statement. You know, right. It's not these line item fees that all of a sudden the buyer is then coming back and saying, why am I paying this? Or mm -hmm. the seller, excuse me, why am I paying this on behalf of the buyer? So I think it's going to really clarify and, and clean it up. It is. And yeah. we don't have to say, well, you signed it. Right. Exactly. Well, that's going to do it for the changes. That was good. So overall, you were kind of wishy-washy in the beginning. You still don't like some of them? Um, I'm, I'm worried more. I'm worried yeah. about that appraisal thing. Um, that's a big one. Yeah. Um, the worried about... Our clients and their text messaging. <laughs> yeah. So it's just going to depend on us to properly educate our clients. That's right. So and that's what we love to do. So. <laughs> yeah, we're happy to come in and do an in-house uh, presentation and, and get into more depth on this. So reach out to us. Let us know. Contact us through any of our social media outlets, which will be somewhere on the bottom of your screen. Smash the like button. Smash that like button. <laughs> and. Uh, and Nathan. Yes. Welcome to our yeah. podcast. Yeah. Excited about it. Maybe you. <laughs> Yeah. You're a pro now. That's it. I'm a, pro. I'm a pro. You did a great job. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that's going to do it for today. Uh, some good stuff that we covered. So for anyone watching, in case you dozed off halfway through, four of the main points we want to drive home, they're going to flash across your screen, are pay attention to the personal property list, what stays, what goes with the property, uh, stay on top of the lenders because now loan approval has to include appraisal, no texting notices. Don't text and drive. Or Don't Facebook text notices. Messaging. No Facebook messaging. <laughs> email, email, email. Or <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then fourth, uh, deadlines in at eleven fifty nine p.m. in the time zone where the property is located. So good. Yeah. All right. Well, Ashley, thank you as always. 
Nathan, thank you. Absolutely. We'll definitely be having you back. Sure will. So, uh, great first podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Loving it. Pass the test. That's it. A plus. Yeah, a plus I think, plus. I think we can have him back. I think so, too. <laughs> Here and just keep. All right. Well, thanks, everyone. Uh, again, if you need us to come in and explain this in more detail, let us know. We'd be happy to come do that. And if you have drop any other... Comment. Drop a comment. Push the like button. Smash that like button. Like all of our social media pages. Um, and we'll see you next time. Mm -hmm. Sayonara. Bye.